We read God's word in Genesis chapter 8. Just like last time, the whole chapter will be our text for the sermon. Let's read the whole chapter together. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off, So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, The face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth out of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. 
Neither will I smite again any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. We read the word of God that far. And God remembered Noah. Very simple words, but very beautiful words begin our text this afternoon. And God remembered Noah. Very comforting words those are too when we apply them to ourselves, as we hope to do in the sermon. Very comforting for Noah Because at this point, he and his family and all of the animals in the ark had just passed through a world-destroying catastrophe. They had just passed through the great flood, a flood which had utterly destroyed and reshaped the entire earth. The flood began, we were told, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month. We saw that the rain poured down from above when God opened up the windows of heaven, and the water spewed up from beneath when God caused the fountains of the great deep to be broken up. And for 40 days and 40 nights, that catastrophic rain came pouring down upon the earth and hammered on the roof of the ark. Then for an additional 110 days, the rain kept coming to some degree or other because we are told that the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. During that 150 days of the flood, all living, breathing creatures on the earth perished, including all human beings, drowning under the waters of the flood. And Noah and his family and the animals were inside the ark. And then we read in our text, And God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, What amazing, comforting, beautiful words. God remembered his people. God remembered all of his dear creatures in the ark. And in his remembrance, God removed the floodwaters from off the face of the earth. He called them forth from the ark into a brand new world, which he gave to them as their inheritance, calling them to begin a new life in a new world. What we need to see from this passage this afternoon is the application to ourselves and how comforting this scripture is to us who live in the present time and what great hope it gives to us regarding the future 
what we need to see is that God also remembers us. He always remembers us. As we go through the floods of our lives, and as we pass through the great world-destroying calamities of our time and of the last days that are yet to come. Through this scripture, as understood in the light of all of scripture, God gives hope to his church today as we live in the last days that soon, very soon, he is going to call us out of our ark into a brand new world that he has not yet made into a new life that will never end. So let's consider God remembers Noah. First of all, God's remembrance of his own in the ark. Secondly, God's call into a new world. And finally, Noah's response of thanks and hope. God remembered Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives and all of the animals in the ark. When the text says that God remembered them, the idea is not that God had forgotten them for a while. Often that's the case for us. When we remember something, that means we had forgotten it for a while. But that's not the case with God. God never forgets. When the text says God remembered them, we have to remember that from God's perspective, he always remembered them. He never forgot them. His mind was always on them. But the scripture says that God remembered Noah using that word and that idea from human experience to show us what Noah experienced from his perspective and what we experience in our lives. What Noah experienced was that for 150 days, it seemed that God was far away. It seemed that God was so busy and flooding the world and destroying it and wiping out the wicked in the world, that he had forgotten them in the ark. It almost seemed that way to Noah as he heard the thunderous rains slamming on the roof of the ark and felt the ark moving in the waters. But then, on the 150th day of the flood, the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat, as we read in our text. And it seems to me that it was on that 150th day that when the ark rested on the mountaintops, that when Noah felt that ark come to a halt after all of its swaying in the floodwaters, that he realized God has not forgotten us. God has remembered us. We're told what God did when he remembered Noah and those inside the ark. God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. That is, the waters decreased. God sent a mighty wind. Now we know that all of the wind is from God, but this was a special, wondrous, miraculous wind. A powerful wind. So strong that God used it to sweep the waters off of the surface of the earth and to move them down into the depths, into the oceans, into the seas, into the deep trenches of the oceans around the earth. We are told, too, that the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. God remembered them. He stopped the windows of heaven. He stopped the fountains of the deep. He stopped all of that catastrophic activity 
that was pouring more and more water into the earth. And through that miraculous wind, he moved the waters off of the earth into the seas. We are told that the waters were abated, verse 3. The waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. They were diminished, decreased more and more. And the ark suddenly came to a halt. Can you imagine the joy and the comfort that must have filled their hearts when they felt the ark suddenly come to a halt? After all of that time floating on the waters of the flood, it came to a halt, we are told, in the mountains of Ararat. And according to tradition, those are the mountains located north of the modern-day country of Iraq, around the country of Armenia and eastern Turkey. There's a mountain range in there known as the mountains of Ararat. And it was somewhere in that region, north of Mesopotamia, the ark came to rest on solid ground. I imagine that if Noah had a little journal in which he was taking notes, as it seems like when you read the chapter, that he sat down that day and wrote an entry in his notes that it was on the 150th day that the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. God remembered them in his mercy. The great truth of the text then as applied to us is that God remembers us. He always remembers us. Sometimes, like Noah, we might feel forgotten by the Lord. As we feel the thunderous rains of trials and afflictions come pouring down upon the roof of our ark, so to speak. As we feel sometimes that we're drowning in those afflictions. As we feel like the waters are coming up and rising and overflowing as they rise up to our chin, as it were. And as we look around us at the world and see it filling up with floods of calamities, catastrophes, wars, famines, pestilences, and all kinds of troubles, all of which foreshadow the last days. Or as we struggle in our personal lives with sickness, sorrows, as we feel alone, as we feel lost, we feel alone in our ark as if God has forgotten us. God tells us in the text, I remember you. I always remember you. God's arms are wrapped around that ark. Do you remember? He shut them in. He wrapped his arms around that ark and sealed that ark with his grace and love and mercy so that all of the inhabitants, all of his dear creatures were kept perfectly safe and secure in his loving arms, nestled inside the ark. Kept safe there until the floodwaters are all the way down. God says, I remember you. We read that throughout the scriptures, for example, in the Psalms. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now thus saith the Lord, fear not. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. For I am the Lord thy God. 
We turn to Luke chapter 1. We hear in the songs of Mary and Zacharias a beautiful song that the Lord has remembered us because now the Lord will send the Christ that he has promised to send all these years. It was especially when God sent Christ that he showed his remembrance of us, that he has not forgotten his people, but in his mercy he sent us a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who passed through the flood for us so that we didn't have to drown under those floodwaters of God's wrath and his judgment and his indignation towards sinners. Christ came into the world and Christ went under those floods of wrath at the cross. Christ suffered all of that wrath and all of that indignation that we deserved. Recall that the waters of the flood point forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. And just as the waters of the flood cleansed the world of wickedness, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses the world of sin, destroying the ungodly and washing away the sins of his people. The waters of the flood point to that powerful, precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who passed under the flood of God's wrath for us. God remembered us through Christ And when Christ finished suffering all that flood of wrath, God remembered him too. And God raised him up from the dead on the third day, glorious and triumphant. And in Christ, he raised us up too and gave us the hope of everlasting joy. God remembered Christ, and God remembered us in Christ. And now God remembers us in all of our woes. As the Apostle writes in Romans 8, He who hath not spared his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He remembers you in all of your trials, in all of your woes. There's an old hymn that you might recall. The Lord is mindful of his own. He remembers his children. The Lord remembered Noah and his family and all of the animals in the ark. And Noah waited for him patiently. It's striking how Noah waited patiently and yet actively for the Lord. We read in the passage that for the next two and a half months, after that 150th day of the flood, For the next two and a half months, the ark was resting there on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to decrease. Some have estimated that the waters went down about 15 feet per day. And Noah waited, and Noah watched, day after day and week after week. One day we are told that Noah peeked out the window of the ark, and he saw the tops of the mountains of Ararat. That window must have been fairly small so that he could not see all around him. But he peeked through that window and he saw the tops of the mountains in the water. Can you imagine the joy that must have filled his heart? The Lord has remembered us. The waters are going down. But Noah waited 40 more days. And only after waiting, he then opened the window again and let the raven out. And the raven flew off from the ark, and we are told that it flew to and fro 
And the idea of that is that the raven went out and it came back. It went out and it came back to the ark. But it never went back inside the ark. It simply flew back and forth. Probably it went out. And since ravens are scavenger birds, it found carrion meat lying around and was able to eat and find nourishment. And then it flew back and perched on the roof of the ark, but did not come back into the ark. Then Noah waited again, seven more days. And then he opened the window again and sent forth a dove, a much more delicate, lovely bird, a bird that will not eat carrion meat. Noah was trying to discover if the waters were abated. And the, the dove flew about that day, but came back to the ark, because it could not find anywhere to rest the sole of its feet. So it came back to Noah, and we're told that he put forth his hand. You see the love of God for his creatures reflected in Noah's love for the dove. He reached out his hand, and the dove rested on his hand, and he brought it back into the ark. And Noah waited seven more days. And after seven more days, he opened the window again and let the dove go free. And the dove flew about in the earth and down into the valleys and evidently found a little sapling olive tree, probably growing down in the valleys, and plucked off a new leaf that was growing on that tree and brought it back up to the ark and showed Noah that leaf. And now Noah knew the waters had gone down farther. The Lord has remembered us. But he waited seven more days, opened the window again, and let the dove go again. And this time the dove did not return, because now there was a place for the dove to rest its feet. But even then, Noah did not open up the door of the ark. He waited 29 more days after the dove had flown away. He waited until the 601st year of his life, the first month, the first day of the month, You understand, those are years reckoned according to the life of Noah. He waited till his birthday. He waited till his 601st year, the first month, the first day. And then, as it were on his birthday, he removed the covering of the ark. We know that the ark was built with gopher wood. And so the covering of the ark must refer to the roof of the ark made out of gopher wood boards. Noah got busy. He started taking down those boards of the roof. We don't know if he took down the whole roof or only a portion of the roof, but he took it down. He removed it because that little window only gave him a a small view, and he wanted to be able to see a panoramic view to be able to find out if the waters had really gone down all the way. And he looked in every direction, and he could see that the face of the ground was dry. But even then, he did not exit the ark. He waited for the Lord 57 more days until the second month, the 27th day of the month. During all that time, Noah was eagerly looking, watching, looking out of the window, sending forth birds, removing the covering of the ark, He was eager. He wanted to know, is it time? Is it time? Is it time? But he waited. And so Noah is an example to us 
of watching and waiting. He's an example of eager and active watching as Christians who live in the world in the present time. Are we like Noah? Do we have that eagerness, actively looking out the window of the ark, peeking out into the world, looking at the signs, trying to find out, trying to learn, is the end here yet? Is the end come? Are all these calamities soon to be finished? When will the end of this catastrophe come? Do we send forth our ravens? Do we send forth our doves? You know why he did that. He didn't have digital communications and cameras and all the rest like we do today. He sent forth those birds to find information. Through the birds, he was trying to learn the condition of the earth. Do we do that? Do we do our utmost to look around us? Do we take off the covering of our ark so we can get a panoramic view? Are we eager to know the signs of the times in which we live? That was Noah. An eager expectancy that this calamity will be finished and we will leave the ark. But although there was this eager and active watching, what is remarkable is his patient waiting. He waited. 150 days was the flood. He waited 40 days to send forth the raven. He waited seven days to send the dove. Seven more days. Seven more days. Then 29 more days. 57 more days. He waited. He waited. He waited. He waited. He waited for the Lord to speak to him. The scriptures call us to that kind of patient waiting on the Lord. In James 5, verses 7 and 8, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rains. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That applies to all of our personal trials as well. Sometimes our trials seem to last a long time. We want them to be over. But Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. After more than a year, the Lord spoke to Noah. More than a year inside that ark. We read in the text in verse 15, And God spake unto Noah. Can you imagine again the joy that must have thrilled his heart as he heard God's voice again? Just as he had heard God's voice more than a year before, more than a hundred years before, commanding him to build the ark. He hears the voice of God again. And oh, what a comforting message it was. The Lord said, verse 16, Go forth of the ark, 
thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. We have to remember that Noah built the ark by faith. Noah was operating in hope. Hope of salvation. Hope for things he had not seen as yet. As we saw, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it was by faith that Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith. He had never seen rain before. He had never seen a flood or a calamity or a world-destroying event. But by faith, he built that ark, trusting in God, trusting in his word. And it was in hope for the future. Always hoping, hoping, hoping for the future. That God will do what he says, that God will give me salvation, that he will save the animals and my family in this ark. Faith, hope. Patience, hope, faith, patience for all those years. And now the Lord speaks to him. Go forth from the ark, Noah. Now the time has come, Noah. This is the time when your faith will become sight. This is the time when your hope will become possession. This is the time when your waiting is over. You have been patient. You have hoped You have believed. Now, come, Noah. Come forth out of the ark. Come forth with your wife. Take your wife by the hand and walk out of the ark, Noah. Take your children. Take your sons. Take their wives. Take all of the animals, all of the cattle, two by two, all of the creeping things, all of the birds. Let them out of their cages. Open the door of the ark. Come forth, Noah. Come forth. Come forth into the world, newly cleansed, newly renovated, newly prepared for you to dwell with me without fear. And we read in the text, verse 18, Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. What a marvelous scene! As the door of the ark opens, the ramp down to the ground, and here comes Noah with his wife walking down the ramp, and here come his three sons and their wives walking out, and two by two, every animal, after its kind, walking, flying, slithering, out into the bright sunshine and the bright blue sky above them, a marvelous, cleansed, renovated world. All the ungodly wiped away. The grass beginning to grow. New life, new flowers, new trees. Oh, the excitement that must have filled the air as the birds flew out. And the animals rushed out into a new world, setting their feet again on solid ground to dwell with God without fear. The scriptures always have application to God's people. That call of the Lord to Noah in our text points forward. It points forward to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ 
It points forward to that last great day of history, that last great day when the Lord comes again with all of his angels, when he destroys this world not with a flood but with fire, when he judges the living and the dead, when he raises the bodies of all men, and then, then he will say to to his people, to all of his people from all the nations of the world, saved by his blood, come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 34. That's what he will say to us as he sits upon the throne of his glory. He will look at us. He will look at you and me and say, Come, come, come out of the ark. Come into this brand new world, this glorious, magnificent, beautiful paradise where you can dwell with God for all eternity. Brothers, he will say to us, come with your wife, if we have a believing Christian wife. He will say, come with your wife, take your wife by the hand, and come into the blessed paradise where you can dwell for all eternity. And no longer will she be your wife, but now your sister in the kingdom of God forever. He will say to us, parents, take your covenant children, the elect children that I have given to you, take them by the hand and come into the blessed kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And your little boys and girls will no longer be your sons and daughters, but your brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. He will say, come with all of my dear creatures, all of the animals of every kind. Come, you blessed creatures, And in Romans 8, we read that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. All the creatures around us groan and travail in pain. They too are under the bondage of corruption, but they hope for the glorious liberty of the children of God. Jesus will say to all of his creatures, Come, come into the new world and receive the glorious liberty of the children of God. Come and see your God face to face. That's the hope of the text. Just as God prepared a new world for Noah, his family, and all the animals on the ark, he will create a new world in which the whole family of God will dwell. The wolf will lay down with the lamb and the leopard with the kid. And in all of God's holy mountain, there will be no violence. There will be no sin, no sorrow, and no tears. But righteousness, peace, and everlasting joy. What a cause, then, for thankfulness. The first thing that Noah did was express thankfulness. He builded an ark, rather, an altar, verse 20, Unto the Lord. He took some stones. He set up an altar. He took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, because he had brought seven of each of those. He had extras. He took of each of those. He slew them. He shed their blood. 
He laid them on his altar. He lit it on fire. And he burned up those animals as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Do we realize how expressive that is of his thankfulness? Having come out of that ark, those were precious creatures to him. He could have taken them for his own personal use and enjoyment. But those clean animals, he offered up. He consecrated them to God as an expression of his thankfulness for all that God had done for him. And so do we also devote ourselves to God in thankfulness for all that he has done for us? He's delivered us from the flood of his wrath through the blood of his Son. He's given us salvation. Let us dedicate all that we are and all that we have to God for such a great salvation. But those sacrifices were also done in hope because Christ had not yet come in the days of Noah. And that salvation in the ark through the flood was only a type. It was only a picture. As magnificent as it was, it was only a picture. Noah still had to wait for the coming of the Lamb of God who would shed his own blood to take away our sins. He offered that sacrifice. He shed the blood of those animals and offered them up on the altar like Abel before him in hope for the coming of Christ. Christ has now come but he will come again. And do we offer ourselves to him in hope, in the hope of his second and final coming? We are told in the text, verse 21, that the Lord smelled a sweet savor. It's as if the roasting meat on the altar lifted up to heaven where God sits And there entered into God's nostrils, and that beautiful smell of the roasting meat entered into his nostrils, not as if God is interested in food and drink like us, but figuratively, it was the the sacrifice of those animals that filled God with pleasure toward his servant Noah. God was pleased with that sacrifice. After all, he himself had worked in Noah that faith and that hope and that patience by his Holy Spirit and worked in Noah to offer himself in thankfulness through those sacrifices. God was pleased. And God said in his heart, which means to say that God spoke within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means to say that God made this determination. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. God cursed the ground for man's sake after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And that curse continues until the end of this world. But what God means here is that he will never again bring a special curse such as the flood upon the earth. He will never again destroy all living creatures on the earth 
as long as the earth remains. There will never again be such a world-destroying catastrophe as long as the earth remains until that time when the new world is about to be born. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. We have seen in these sermons that modern unbelieving scientists believe that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the world. All things continue, they say, according to the fixed laws of nature for billions and billions of years. We saw that the Apostle Peter calls them scoffers, and they are willingly ignorant of this, that the Lord has sent a massive catastrophe. He has flooded the world and destroyed it and changed it forever. But although that's true, after the flood, our text shows us that all things do continue according to certain divinely fixed laws and patterns for nature. God, in his providence, after the flood, no longer destroys the world, but he governs it according to fixed and repeatable patterns. That's true. There is such a thing as science and the ability to observe the creation and nature around us and to see the regular, normal ways that God works. But it wasn't always that way. There was a time long ago when God destroyed this world and changed it forever. This history of the flood gives us hope for the future. That as God rules over creation in his regular way, the time will come when he will send his son again. This world will be destroyed, but destroyed in order to be reborn, to be recreated into something much more glorious, something everlasting. Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter 3, We Christians who know this, we look for the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. The history of the flood testifies that that new world will surely come. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the treasures of thy word, the treasures of this history. And we pray that thou would lay it upon our hearts that we might have comfort, that our hearts might be encouraged and filled with joy and hope as thou did give to thy servant Noah. May we look for that great day when all things will become new. May we set our hearts upon it. And may that hope affect the way we live in this present time. 